BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. At 15, you know, you kind of become this little girl that becomes a woman and your body's changing and all these things are happening and you're kind of like, whoa, what's going on? She's Caroline Marks. And at 19, she's an advocate for body positivity and eyeing the first ever Olympic surfing gold medal when a sport makes its Olympic debut in Tokyo. My whole life is on camera. As a surfer, like someone can look at every inch of your body. My new favorite Olympian. New episode every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. No wonder none of us are healing, right? Because there's something wrong with us if we're saying, oh my God, this food addiction isn't working for me. Oh my God, intuitive eating isn't working for me. The problem is, is that what the culture has made us believe is that there's something wrong with me, not maybe the treatment I'm in isn't the one that works for me. Not that it doesn't work, but maybe the treatment I'm in is not the one that works for me. It's bioindividuality is just like a thing, <laughs> like just to be a scientist for a minute. Of course, not one thing's going to work for everybody. It's crazy. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod Squad. Hope everyone's having a wonderful morning. I'm in a fabulous mood today. I hope you are as well. But hey, if you're not, it's all good. We're here for that too. I know what those days are like. But hopefully this conversation can help bring you some clarity or at least help bring you some comfort on whatever journey it is you're on in life. And honestly, that's the point of this episode. I feel like we talk a lot about recovery. We talk a lot about healing. And the most obvious question that comes up for that is, okay, how do I heal? What does my recovery from an eating disorder, from addiction, from trauma, what does that look like? How can I do it? How can I heal? And that's why I'm so excited about today's guest, Molly Carmel, because I think she's brilliant. Molly is an addiction and eating disorder therapist who founded Beacon by MC, which offers a variety of solutions to encourage radical change and support on your journey to overcome emotional eating, food addiction, binge eating. And Molly is also a therapist who works with a variety of clients. She's extremely trained in dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. Not to mention, she's been featured on the Today Show, Dateline NBC, Anderson 360, and is the host of her own podcast, What You're Craving. So in this episode, we're going to dive into how you can identify where you're at on your own personal healing journey from whatever it is you're battling. Before we hop in, I want to give a quick shout out to Carly. Carly left a five-star review last week that says, Vic is amazing and so is RealPod. Every single episode I listen to, I leave in a better mood and a better outlook on my life. I feel like I learn so much about myself just from listening. My favorite podcast ever and truly life-changing. Carly, babe, this is why I podcast. 
because I want people to feel like they're learning something about themselves and that these conversations are helping them on their journey, whether that's feel less alone, whether that's actionable tips, just the fact that you guys come each week with trust that this content is going to be helpful for you means the world. I don't take it lightly and I will continue grinding, showing up for you every single week. And I'm so grateful for that relationship that we share together. So thank you, Carly. If you are enjoying RealPod and you want to leave me a note and possibly get a shout out on next week's episode, head over to iTunes where you can leave a review. It takes less than 10 seconds. It really helps out the show. And I love hearing from you all. Oh, and don't forget to follow RealPod on Instagram at RealPod. We have lots of fun, really real content there. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you stream so you get that automatic download every single Wednesday. You guys know the drill. And thanks again for tuning in today. Without further ado, let's dive into this episode with behavioral therapist Molly Carmel. So Molly, you have extensive training in substance abuse, eating disorders, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is the first time I've heard that. So also fascinating. Where do we even begin? Because I feel like you have so much wisdom and such a deeper understanding of these things. And I want to know it all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can I just also say that the theme of your podcast is like legitimately like love language. It's like literally you're like, we're talking real, like no chasers. I was like, oh, count me a thousand percent. That's all I ever want to do is have real conversations. Like it's just so healing, you know, it's just so healing. So yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that I've, I've become, you know, I am a wounded healer and my story totally informs how educated I decided to get. Right. Because I was so sick and I was, and I, and like, I just, I say sick physically and I was emotionally and I was sick spiritually and it amassed itself the first round in a really big time binge eating disorder, um, you know, where I was like 325 pounds and, you know, like you talk about in your story, like very loose grip on life, like, right. Like very, like, yeah, if the train hits me, like, that's fine. No big deal. Like I, you know, which I just want to side note, I don't think I ever understood my own value until I started to get healthy. Like what the main reason that that thought wouldn't come to me is because I, I do understand how like important I am. I don't mean that in a way, but you know what I mean? Like we forget how much we matter to other people when we are so dark and deep in these eating disorders, don't you think? Yes, because I think all of that is for others. When I think about eating disorders, it's like to get this body for people to approve me or to get this control or when it's my, when it was depression, it's to live this lifestyle. I think I'm supposed to live. No wonder there's no sense of self-worth. Nothing you're doing in your life is for yourself. And it's so funny that it ends up being so self-centered. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean that like in the little, like in the definitional sense of it, it's like, well, where am I going to get that? Did I have enough calories? And it's like, I can't ask someone how they're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't be like worried about global yes. warming. Like I'm too way obsessed with like, is the six pack going to come? Or like, and it's just such an interesting where our culture is right now and how badly we all need to be, you know, with each other and loving each other. Like eating disorders are thieves in that way, you know? Yeah, definitely. Especially the way it takes you out of living your life in the moment. So you were mentioning that you were sick in a variety of ways. Are you comfortable expanding on that? 
Well, first of all, it's real pod and that's the love language. So <laughs> yes. But also if we were at lunch, yes. Yeah, totally. I was I was sick in every way possible, you know, wounded, you know, and I think it's like an interesting thing. Like uh, there's resiliency and there's trauma. And I, re- I really come from like a lot of trauma. You know, I lost a parent traumatically. Uh, when I was three, my dad, uh, my dad drove up a cliff. And, and I think that really formed how I saw the world. You know, it really formed this part of me that was like, you know what? I'm not interested in God or anything. I'm not interested in anything. I'm just going to take care of myself. Like I got it. And I think I was like one of those people that was really born sensitive. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, I'm like an emotional sunburner very quickly, you know, and I'm, and I'm a big personality and like, you know, that like sensitivity is my superpower now. And, you know, and then I kind of grew up in a, in a town where like, so I was like, this like, I had like this dead dad and my single mom who worked and I had like this big, you know, curly, you know, before I found product for my curly hair and, you know, I, I just, I, I got this note that I didn't belong. I got this note that I didn't belong. And so I just think all of that put together impacted me emotionally, impacted physically, but also spiritually, right? Like I believe spirituality and sort of like our, how we view the world, right? And how we experience the world and how we believe. I think this is like the underrated conversation about eating disorders in many ways is how that chronic dieting and how that chronic failure and how the messaging like really hurts our soul and hurts our spirit and and wrecks our belief system. I've been doing this a long time and and a lot of the people who come to me are are, very, are older, right? 50, 60. And I mean when you see 40 years of diet drama and trauma, it's like repeat that for 40 years, like that will do something to how you experience this world. Like it's really it's really sad how this whole thing goes down, but healing's like totally possible. I mean, if I say anything to anybody today, Everyone can heal from their eating disorder, period, exclamation point, bold, italic. Before we dive into the next question, hear me out. Do you ever feel like your jewelry collection just needs a revamp? Or you're looking around and people have cute hoops and necklaces and bracelets and rings and you're like, where's everyone getting this stuff? Well, I have an answer for you and I have a discount for you. So listen closely. RealPod's newest sponsor, Ana Luisa, spelled A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, creates sustainable, ethical, and stunning jewelry starting at just $39. And now as a RealPod listener, you can get 20% off their summer sale. They have new jewelry collections being released every Friday, so you can always find something unique and new. I recently went ham in the earring department. I feel like gold hoops are just so in right now. And the Paris hoops they have, I'm obsessed. They're the perfect little size and they have texture to them. I think they just elevate every outfit and they're the perfect touch to pretty much everything. But you guys have to look for yourself. Seriously, get online, scroll through their sale to see what you love. And once again, as a RealPod listener, you can get 20% off their summer sale. So head over to shop analuisa.com slash RealPodSun and you get 20% off their summer sale. That's shop com slash realpodsun. Once again, shop analuisa.com, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A slash realpodsun to get 20% off their summer sale and find super cute jewelry at affordable prices that will last you. Today's episode is also brought to you by Barabee, a joyful wellness brand on a mission to create a calmer, more collected world one sleep at a time. To be specific, They do this with their chunky knit weighted blankets, which are heavenly. I told you guys about this last week. 
these blankets literally weigh pounds and you can customize how many pounds you want your blanket to weigh based on what you're looking for. And they help you drift away naturally into sleep. Because did you know blankets have been medically proven to help calm anxiety and promote deep restorative rest? Seriously, I'm obsessed with it. Max steals it from me all the time. I got mine in color asteroid gray because it matches my living room. I know sometimes people don't like to be really hot when they're sleeping or they're napping or they're laying down. And you don't even have to worry about that with this blanket. It is so breathable. I know when you hear weighted blanket, you're thinking I'm going to be so hot in that thing. This blanket is so breathable. If anything, it's more breathable than my normal blankets. And not only does it feel good to sleep with these weighted blankets just draping over you, but these blankets are good for the planet. Barabee weaves sustainability into every part of their supply chain. These blankets are so natural that they are even biodegradable. So if you need something to help you sleep better and feel calmer, try one of Barabee's hand-knit weighted blankets. Find them on Instagram at mybarabee and visit barabee.com. That's B-E-A-R-A-B-Y.com. Once again, Barabee spelled B-E-A-R-A-B-Y.com. And they offer free shipping, hassle-free returns on all orders within the contiguous U.S. And they're amazing. So if you're looking for a weighted blanket, definitely try it out. So when we look at eating disorders, what, if, if, if I were just to ask you, what does that even mean? And how do those manifest themselves in people? So I think that there are, there's a book, it's a gigantic book called The Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And there are, you know, these labels in that book that, you know, clarify eating disorders, right? There's bulimia, there's anorexia, there's different kinds of anorexia, there's binge eating disorder. I think it's a very insufficient book. I think it's a very, I think diagnoses, especially in eating disorders are really insufficient. And another conversation I could talk about that like binge eating disorder isn't even covered by insurance. Like they laugh at it. Like they're like, that's sweet. Like you actually, when you're trying to get reimbursement, you actually need to use depression and anxiety. They don't care at all about binge eating disorder. Talk about a stigma, right? The only thing that's really going to get reimbursement is going to be bulimia because it'll kill you really fast and anorexia because it'll kill you really fast. You know, as you and I know, binge eating disorders like suicide on an installment plan. And so it doesn't get covered. And so I have compassion for a person who is struggling with these like 10 pounds and is in that mental circus of not being able to see past it. And I do for this person who can't stop eating is, you know, is 200 pounds overweight. Like, and that I think is more like in that disordered eating category, right? Like the treatment is really similar in a way for people who are struggling with binge eating disorder with five pounds on, with binge eating disorder for 200 pounds on. And the other thing I want to say is there's not really an evidence base for what works. Yeah. And I've had that conversation as well on the podcast a few times, which is almost, I mean, it's, it feels hopeless because people are like, there's not a safe way to go about these things. And that's frustrating. I can imagine. But also you mentioned eating disorders versus disordered eating. If we're just looking at it, forget, you know, weight or like a physical standpoint, just emotionally or from the symptoms, what's the difference between the two for those who are not familiar? Well, I mean, one is just a little bit more clinical. I think I'm so against, I really am. And I'm like a longtime therapist and I'm so against these labels because I worry that people who don't fit the criteria automatically are like, don't think that they're worthy of getting help. Love it. 
A hundred percent. And so to me, like, I don't even want to explain that to somebody. Like if you're worried that you have an unhealthy relationship with food, then let's heal you. Like you're not broken. Let's heal you. Like set it, forget it. You know, my inner child feels so seen right now because I relate to that. I always felt like I didn't check every box for the binge eating, but I look back on my life and I'm like, yeah, that was a problem. And I wouldn't even, I don't even think disordered eating does it just, I, you know, so I agree with you. And I think you said it perfectly. If you are struggling, you deserve to heal. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. And also like, (laughs) there are like two relationships you have to be in, in this world, right? Like one is with food and one is with yourself. So it's like, let's not get into like how deep and dark it is because healing has to happen no matter what. Like, let's just heal the relationship that you have with food. And I don't know, to me, when I'm doing things that are against my moral fiber, like taking things out of the garbage, like not going out because I don't like how I look, right? Like eating much more than I intend to, like shaming myself. Like I, the, the list, you know, I could do the whole podcast on just the symptoms, right? That's, that, that deserves healing. Like it all deserves healing. And so I, I think there's a part of this sometimes that has gotten a bit over pathologized. And I think the only other thing is, I think that we think the solution is only a lot of times in the eating disorder world, of which I am a, a, a significant outlier of because I'm a behaviorist and I treat on what's called a harm reduction addictions model, which means reducing, helping people find their path that isn't exact for everybody using the research and science around food being addictive. And so with intuitive eaters, and and I really think this is the function of toxic tribalism because the research on food being addictive is like really clear. Like the research on big food, making it addictive is really clear. And it doesn't mean that intuitive eating doesn't work. Just like nothing, it all works. It's just so hard to find what works for us. And when we're so polarized, when one thing doesn't work for us, we get too embarrassed and shamed to try something else. And that's what ends up happening when it works. You have to be open to trying. And I think what you're saying there as well is if someone has an addiction to food or a certain group of food, that's going to get in the way of them being able to practice intuitive eating. And so I didn't have an addiction to a food that got in the way. So it was successful for me. And I definitely hear and appreciate the acknowledgement of there are people who it might not work that way. And my mom, who I will talk about briefly, my mom. Well, if you're talking about food, you're always talking about your mom. So like we, yeah, namaste mom. I can bring my mom into it I feel like that's how it is for, for everyone. But my mom, for the longest time, you know, I tried to get her to intuitively eat and it's just not what works best for her. Of course, she listens to her body and she's mindful, but she does like a little bit of that, you know, I wouldn't call it control and restriction have such negative connotations, but she definitely does have some things that she likes them the way that they are. And maybe that would trigger me or that's not what I believe is like a hundred percent intuitive eating, but she's now found a relationship with food that works well for her. And but that's the end game, right? The end game is peaceful, happy relationship with food. Who cares how it happens? Like, why are we getting yes. so obsessed with it only being one way? It's like, I can't, I have lots of patients who can't keep the peanut butter in their house. And then there's always like intuitive eating nutrition. It's like, you should be able to do this. And like, not everybody can do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love it. Let's dive further. If someone 
is trying to find what works for them. How do they do that? Somebody a little spiritual for a second, if you don't mind. I would really get quiet. I actually believe so deeply in our own internal wisdom. I think it is disrupted by diet culture and peer pressure and Instagram and EIEIO. But here's the thing. A lot of times for people, like it sounds like your mom, having some guidance and structure in the beginning works and then you find your own way. For other people, having no structure in the beginning and then finding your own GPS works. And then there's going to be something in the middle, but those are going to be the two ways that you're going to start. But if I could just say one thing about this guidance and structure, okay? If you don't like something, this is like my favorite thing that somebody says to me, right? Like Molly, like, can I have this protein bar? I'm like, why? Well, I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> you have to go try the protein bar and see how it feels. Like what ends up happening when we take that guidance and structure is that we give all of our power away. That's the problem. Like I have heard people sell their souls to like caffeine diets. Well, I just started the caffeine diet and I went to my baby, what happened? What happened that you thought like that was like a reasonable thing to do, but the pursuit of thinness and the pursuit of like this being over, right? This end point, people do just like the craziest things. And so I want us to try to like turn on our brains a little bit because it's always going to be a middle path. All this polarized stuff is what's really killing us. How much of getting rid of judgment plays a role in that process? Mm, entirely. <laughs> to me, the most important, if I could like, if I could be like a, a fairy godmother and just gift everybody, it would be with self-forgiveness and self-compassion. If you, if you are struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating or your relationship with food, you're, you're going to need to have an innate curiosity and an ability to forgive. And it's interesting because the way I explain it to people is like, actually, we sometimes when we're first doing this have to shut down our hearts a little bit and like almost become more like scientists, right? Like, oh, because like, you know, if like you're like when like they were trying to make the COVID vaccine, you know, like I'm sure on the, like the days it didn't work, the scientists were like, oh, forget it. We're not doing this anymore. Like, forget this vaccine. Like, we're done. Right. But it's like we like have a binge on a diet and we're like, that's it. I'm over it. You know, it's like, and so I think this compassion and forgiveness and curiosity is going to be essential to find the freedom. The other thing I want to say is I think that if you have, if you're really uncomfortable in your body, you know, if you're really uncomfortable in your body, I know because I weigh 325 pounds. Like, if someone told me, you know, body positivity, you have to be okay at this weight. I couldn't be. I needed some hope that this weight could be released from me in order to be able to make the sacrifices that I made in my binging. That's my experience. And for some people, that isn't, you know, this is what I mean. It's so complicated and we're trying to simplify it and it's, you know, it's just not going to work. So a question that's coming up for me is how much of your uncomfortability in that body had to do with physical, like you just feeling uncomfortable and and not feeling your best versus conditioned fat phobia to believe it wasn't okay. Great. I love, I love that question more than life. 
I think a lot. I think a lot of it is cultural for all of us. I actually wrote my grad school thesis on 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 fat phobia completely. Um, I think from weighing three hundred twenty five pounds, I couldn't believe I could cry saying this. Just couldn't believe how society hated me. You know, I just couldn't believe it, and I just couldn't get enough of writing about it. So sorry to interrupt. I'm just so. I was just so moved by that. Can you dive deeper for on that experience? For those who are hearing fat phobia for the first time and have no idea what it might have been like for you to live in this world. I think I was lucky because I was I was really smart and really quick. But like, yeah, I mean, I remember one time I was at um I was at a party uh visiting at a friend's college and gosh, I just felt like I just looked so great, you know, you know, and I remember going into the bathroom and a guy was like, Look at that fat chick that just went into this bathroom, you know? And um yeah, I mean, and dates and all, I mean, all the things and, and it just, um, yeah. So I think it's really hard to, to undo society. I don't think it's fair that I couldn't belong in the way that I wanted to in society, but I don't think that's a Molly problem. Like, I think that's a society problem, but I have to say, you know, this is, I think where I am so fluid about morbidly obese people wanting to release weight. And I only use the word release weight. I never use the term lose weight. That's a diet culture, bad news bears. Because here's the other thing. I think it was really physical, right? Like I couldn't walk a quarter of a mile without being short of breath. Like, and I literally felt like my lower back was going to fall out of my body. Like, and I'm a little older than you. And so we didn't have like Amazon and like all these great stores, you know, there's like two stores, like my underwear stopped fitting, you know, my necklaces stopped fitting. Like I had smells in places like you would never even, like, I remember, like, I remember underneath my fat rolls was just this like putrid smell and I couldn't fit into the shower in the apartment that I was renting. I mean, so there was, and like, yes, I mean, okay, there's part of, is that a function of society? Should they made me a bigger shower? Maybe, but I think it's, I think it's dovetailed. And I think honestly, Victoria, like I knew I wasn't supposed to be that size. Like I knew, I just knew that was not the body that I was supposed to be in. To make it clear, I'm not someone who is against people releasing weight. And I love that term because I don't think it's as triggering. I just also think and it's, I it's think- natural. Like losing weight is like, this has to come off. Like I've treated people where they're like, I need to get these seven pounds off. I'm like, good luck. I'm not your, I'm not your person. Like we're not, I'm not forcing your weight off. If your weight is to be off, it will release. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I have compassion for people who know what's best for them and they want to get to that place. Obviously, when you mention things like the shower or the necklace is not fitting or the whatnot, yeah, I think a huge element of that is society is designed for smaller people. And that's not fair. And I think I think there should be an option. I think someone in a larger body should have the option to to live their life to the fullest in that body if they want to. Absolutely. You know, however Sadly, that's the current problem. And I mean, I've never been in a body that was oppressed by society. So I don't know that struggle. So can you tell me your thoughts on kind of this idea of people who are fat have two options? It's fight back and constantly be taking things that I don't deserve because this world was not designed for me, but I'm passionate about, I do like the way I am and I want to like fight back to create change or it's, you know what, maybe they're like in that, that in between of, Hey, I don't feel my best. 
Um, I want to feel like I fit in here. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, it almost I, I feels understand like it completely. I mean, there's two options. And one is one is kind of like you can't even just live your life. Like if you want to live in your body, you have to be like an advocate of sorts. Like you're making a statement. That, I mean, which some people yes. don't want to have to do. They just want to live their life. Right. Which is exhausting. Right. Like, right. Like, so if I want to be in a size 26 body, a size 42 body, I have to be like, posting it on Instagram, like hashtag body love. I can't just be, it's a beautiful point. I was on the beach the other day and maybe this is my perception of it. I just remember, I mean, it was, it's 20 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that when I was really in a, in a morbidly obese body and it, it was so shunned. I remember once I wore a bikini at, at a camp I was working at and they wrote like a comedy song about how terrible I looked in my itsy bitsy bikini. It's I mean, horrible. Yeah. Shaming. I mean, and it carries, you know, it's hard to rid yourself of that. That's why I'm so spiritual today. But, but I was thinking, I was looking at all these different beautiful bodies on the beach and their bikinis and these girls just looked like they were really owning themselves. And I was like the happiest I might've been in a really long time thinking like, maybe we are making strides. You know, I taught aerobics when I was about 300 pounds and I got fired for being heavy. They got too many complaints about me. And I was thinking like, well, I mean, if that happened today, I'd like put that on Instagram. I got a mouth on me, you know? And it's like, we've, we're coming, we're moving towards something with that, with that movement for sure. But when we're moving forward with that movement, then sometimes it takes away from the people that are, that want to be releasing weight. I mean, this is, the answer is always the balance is the thing. And we're just getting so polarized with everything. And this comes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. And one of your main philosophies in the work you do is it's different for everyone. Absolutely. We're going to take one more quick break today to talk about skincare because people actually ask me a lot what my skincare routine is. And I honestly kind of feel insecure because skincare is confusing. And I know what it's like to want a routine and want to have the perfect answer to that question, but not even know where to start or with what products or how to know what's right for your skin in particular. I'm so glad that the Inky List came on board as a sponsor for RealPod because I have truly loved them for such a long time. And this is a skincare brand that exists to empower people. For real, like when you shop their website, they have models with all types of skin, discoloration, acne hair. I mean, it just makes me feel comfortable because the Inky List is realistic and understands the many different types of skin that we all have. And not just that, but they go the extra mile in helping customers make the best decisions for your skin. You can literally hashtag ask inky i-n-k-e-y 24 7 365 days a year via live chat on their website or dm on social media and then one of their skincare coaches will be able to answer your questions and give you personalized skincare advice right there and then so if you're a skincare expert or a newbie who wants to know what an ingredient like hyaluronic acid is or how to build a skincare routine, this is where you need to go. Head to theinkylist.com to discover the right ingredients for you or check out hashtag askinky, which is at the I-N-K-E-Y list on Instagram to get personalized help today. Once again, that's theinkylist.com or hashtag askinky on at the inky list. When you use the term morbidly obese, correct me if I'm wrong, but that has to do with the BMI scale, which is incredibly flawed. such a piece of crap. Totally. So then why do you still use that <laughs> verbiage? Oh, it's such a good question. I think I probably need to not use it. I, I like vacillate between like very clinical and then just like totally chilling. I just, I don't know. I, I think I use it for impact maybe because getting into, I think I was actually in a super morbid obese body if we're being 
actually accurate. Um, I don't know. Maybe well, I not, not accurate, but if we're using the terminology <laughs> by go. the BMI, which there. is incredibly flawed. Here's the fun fact about me. Um, I'm like always open to change because I'm in a field that ought to be open to change. I'm trying to be the change. So yeah. What do you, what language do you think I should use instead? Well, it's tough because who am I to say the language if that's not me? You know, there's people who say we should just use the word fat and that should not be a bad thing. I still have some fat phobia in me where I feel bad calling someone that word, but I'm trying to unlearn it and realize it's not a bad thing to say. So funny when you said it, I had such a reaction. I was like, oh my God, is she going to get people mad because she used that word? No, the fat activists I follow want to find empowerment in that word. And they refer to themselves as fat and they don't like the term larger bodies. You know, I'm still figuring out what to say. I think hopefully I, I believe that if you come from a good place, people will grant you forgiveness for for learning. I think this is a, a tough subject and I constantly have to acknowledge my thin privilege and my inability to understand what your life would have been like at that time and how current people want to be referred to. And it's tough because there are fat activists who want to be called fat. There are other activists who don't want to be called that. So right. I never know. You know, I'm right. just trying my best. <laughs> I think that just for ease of story, I think I use it. You know what I mean? Like, and- yeah. And and I was just, I was just curious because, you know, and I had a lot of mostly all anti-diet dietitians, but nutritionists and experts on the show and, you know, you being one of them and everyone has some sort of different perspective. And I appreciate that. I don't want to be someone where people come to my podcast and I'm finding a different expert to regurgitate the same information. I, I believe people should hear everything that's out there and then I think this is what we both agree on so wholeheartedly and then come up with, okay, what, what hits for me? What do I identify with? What works for me? You know, I've had people on who give trigger warnings before they say the word obese. And then I have you come on and just say morbidly obese. So I think it's all a part of this conversation. And I think why it's so important. And I think it's all part of this culture right now. I think we're all just, I mean, I think that's culturally, we're all just figuring it out right now. And and I always just hope for forgiveness myself. Yeah. And like, even with the trigger warnings, I'm curious what if you have a hot take with trigger warnings, because for someone like me, I'm like, do I have to offer a trigger warning every podcast episode I talk about eating disorders? I feel like if you're listening to my podcast, you should know what's coming. So I kind of think, you know, I'm at an in-between. If it's something that I think could really ruin someone's day and it's on me to give the warning, I'll give the warning. But if it's something like this podcast, I'm not going to give a trigger warning because they should see the title. They should see you. They should realize we're going to get into this. And that's kind of my thought. And we can't protect everyone from everything in the world. Okay, now you go. (laughs) I have a hot take with trigger warnings, actually. You do? A huge hot take. So I'm trained in dialectical behavioral therapy, which is the treatment of borderline personality disorder, which is its own podcast. But one of the things about borderline personality disorder is people who really suffer with it at at like the nth degree have been through like multiple treatments. They've been like fired by therapists. And as a function of that, a lot of times, you know, they're pretty hopeless. They feel pretty broken. They feel, you know, really lost. Like they can't, like they're unhelpable. And a lot of it's because, and then what we end up doing with people uh, is that we fragilize them. Oh, I can't say that in front of her. We walk on eggshells. Oh, I can't say that. Or oh, you know, that's going to make her really angry. And when, and when we treat people like that, it actually makes them believe they're, they're fragile, right? We, we fragilize people. So, and when we fragilize people, we make them believe that they're fragile. 
And I've had this happen in sessions so many times where someone's like, well, I, I just don't know. I just don't know if I can do that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you asking me to fragilize you right now? Because I can't do that. I'm actually here to help you get well and get healthy. And like, we need, I believe in your internal strengths. So the other thing I always think is like, well, what's, so what's the treatment of fear? Because that's a lot of like, when we're feeling triggered, it's really fear. And the treatment of fear is exposure, right? And, and re-regulating the nervous system. That's the treatment of fear. Now, what I always think a thousand percent of the time is it depends. <laughs> like I believe wholeheartedly if you're about to watch like an aggressive scene, given what we know, given what's come up in our worlds about the percentage of like, yeah, you should have the option to not watch that, right? But I think when we're sitting and we're like using words that are like loose, like when you're like, I'm like a really seasoned veteran therapist, you know? And you're like, why do you use that word? I'm like, I don't really know. It wasn't intended to harm. I just use that word. Like, and I don't, when I said that to Molly, I didn't mean like you could harm people. I was just curious if you had any, if you had thought about it and it's like, I I was just, I think I don't think about it that much because I don't want to fragilize people. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I use a word. I, I, I think we need to keep moving through this. Like, cause that's really the treatment of anxiety and fear is to keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving, be a little Teflon. And so I think languaging, it's so tricky, right? But that's different because languaging is talks about like things being offensive. Like people could think like, you know, if something is racist or sexist, like it's offensive. And that doesn't have to do with like someone just being tough enough to take. Like, I don't think anyone should be tough absolutely enough to take racism. Not. We shouldn't be absolutely racist. Absolutely not. Absolutely you know? not. Well, I think they're both true, right? I think they're actually both true. I think in the current, in the culture, yeah, you ha- sometimes we have to learn how to do super hard things that are totally inappropriate and we should never need to know. We should never need to know them. And we have to be strong enough to be able to do it because we haven't moved right. all the way yet. And, and so I think that's that's a different shift. But if we go back to the trigger warnings, I understand your thought process on there are certain things like we should be able to hear and handle because we're strong enough now and to because to get we lose it. what we're trying to say. You know what I mean? Like because we lose. Like I love what you're saying. You're like I have a new sort of podcast. Can I just talk? Because you're trying to teach people things. Right. And if we're just like, oh wait, she said that. Oh wait, she said that. I mean, in a way, it's it's deflecting the healing. And that's what's happened, I think, a lot with toxic tribalism, that we're so caught up in like in protecting our tribe that we're actually not listening to things that can soften the conversation and get us all healed. When you say toxic tribalism, are you just referring to like groups of people who all believe the same thing? Yes, I am. In, a, in an extreme way. In an extreme way in which there's not another idea allowed in. I... I think that's so important. I have you read Eckhart Tolle? Any of those books? Of course, yes. Oh my! I read gosh. I read all those books. So something I learned is being open to hearing hearing someone else, seeing the essence of who they truly are, without judgment. And I feel like in our current state of the world, I mean, you say the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing, you ask if you ask a question that is wrong, you could be canceled or shunned. And I completely agree with you that it's it's harmful and it, it hurts more than it helps. And I think the saddest part is that people don't feel like they can ask questions. Yeah. When we're talking about the two most important things that you need in order to find food freedom, being self-compassion and self-forgiveness, it's like, how are you to go try anything when the world has become so unforgiving, right? Yeah. The world has become unforgiving. Damn. I think about that a lot because sometimes 
I obviously I have like career aspirations. What do you mean? You're like such a baller. (laughs) Well, (laughs) where are you going to go next? Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Oh my God. You're so sweet. Part of me is like, I don't want to be as big as Charlie D'Amelio. Like, I don't want that fame. I don't want that hate. I don't want to be canceled. Like, I prefer only a handful of people knowing me. Like, I will cap my IG at 300K and that's it. And if someone unfollows, I'll let someone in the club. <laughs> but I don't want to be known by that many people. I don't people. think that's it's your so divine scary. path. I hate to tell you, but like, I think it's a really cute story. Like, I don't think that's where you're going, but sure. Yeah, well, I'll support you on that. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it, it, and I think for someone like you or someone like me, like, I'm literally in this game exclusively to help people. Like I got nothing else and I'm here because it's personal to me and it's personal to you. And of course I got the training on top of it. All I ever want to do is help people. And there's not going to be a thing that comes out of my mouth that isn't hopefully in the service of helping people. And for me, oh my gosh, it's like sometimes my thought bubbles just come out of my mouth. So I don't know. And like, that's just being human and being passionate and being excited about things and trying on new ideas. But that's how we heal from eating disorders, by the way. So no wonder none of us are healing, right? Right. Because there's something wrong with us if we're saying, oh my God, this food addiction isn't working for me. Like, oh my God, intuitive eating isn't working for me. The problem is, is that what the culture has made us believe is that there's something wrong with me, not maybe the treatment I'm in isn't the one that works for me. Not that it doesn't work but maybe the treatment I'm in is not the one that works for me. It's bio-individuality is just like a thing, like just to be a scientist for a minute. Of course, not one thing's going to work for everybody. It's crazy. I think this is wonderful because coming out of diet culture, people realize, oh, the, the diet is the problem, not me. But they don't always carry that notion over into treatment of maybe this isn't the method for me. But I, I guess, what are your thoughts on really understanding if, so let's talk about maybe it's like a sobriety, like going to AA or doing a different type of like what Demi Lovato is doing of, I don't know, California sober or someone who's doing eating disorder treatment, but then convinces themselves that like, how do you know when the treatment's really not working for you or you're in denial or something? It's the dopest question. I know because it comes with so many blind spots. And like, this is where I think really trusting, like having, I call it a power circle, right? That's where you have to have people in your life that you truly trust and you, and you, and that are, they're very healthy too, that you can say that they will say to you sometimes like, you know, like, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't think that's okay. And then you have to be open, but that's where the self-forgiveness and self-compassion comes in because I think addictions, eating disorders, disordered eating, it comes with so many blind spots. Also we're built in a society that wants us to continue being in diet culture. So we have those those venomous snakes at us too. And so, you know, that's, that's issue one, right? Issue one is have some people around you that are, that you're with, that you can have a really good conversation. Hey, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. What do you think that are going to tell you the truth, tell it to you in a way you can hear it and be open to the idea that maybe it's true. But here's the other thing I want to say, because I've been an addiction therapist a really long time. Sometimes you're just not ready. And I mean this in the most beautiful, kind, compassionate way, not that there's something wrong with you, but just sometimes like time takes time and healing is a process. I think about it in my own process and my own journey. Like in the beginning, I could like just regulate my meals. That's all I could, you know, and then I could like just give up sugar and flour and I didn't give up artificial sweetener. I didn't realize that artificial sweetener was really in the way of my freedom. Like. That was the last thing, you know what I mean? It just, it just took time and it just took time. And, it, and like, 
I think about even I'm, I'm sober, I don't drink. And I think about, I mean, there was a great case to be made that I should have stopped drinking when I was like 29, 25, right? Like it just, that's not. Well, I think that's where this is really understandable is when people go to rehab two, three times and then it's not till the fourth that they can do it. I think that's where this really speaks true. And I think it's progressive. I think healing is progressive. And so you're ready when you're ready. And I have to say to anybody listening, if people are like really on your back about it, hear that in one way. But I always think about the discomfort that people had with me. Like, here's the way that we can do best for people. I mean, this is behaviorism, by the way. People need to have natural consequences to their behaviors because that's the only way that we learn, right? And people get well through positive reinforcement. Those are like the two two great truths of behaviorism. And the way that we're with the people that we love that are struggling with eating disorders, addictions, abusive relationships, like you name it, is that we're like telling them what to do, right? Because we're uncomfortable. So we're like, you need to do this and I want you to do this. And don't you think you should do this? Which like, like as an identified recovering addict, I'm like, okay, if you're going to tell me to do I'm definitely doing the opposite. I'm defiant until the day I die. Mm-hmm. And then because we're so invested in their process, we can't be nice, right? Then we like give them the cold shoulder when they don't do what we want them to do. It's literally the opposite of how people get well. It's the opposite of how people change. It's the opposite of everything. Well, as someone who's had a relationship with someone who had an alcohol addiction, it's tough because you think, oh, if I'm nice and I'm forgiving, then they're going to realize that they can drink and still have me in their life. And I didn't want that person to think that. Right. So, you know, I, it's such a struggle. It's such a struggle. Detaching with love is such a struggle, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. And you talk about the consequences. You know, I, I know Max's brother, my boyfriend's brother struggled with addiction. He's now sober for I think he just celebrated his 10 years. So exciting. Oh, him. But his parents finally had to do the tough love. And then that was what really ultimately helped was, you know, it involves two pieces. The other person has to do the two things that you said, right? Is the boundary of there's a consequence. If you treat me like this, if you show up drunk, if you do X, Y, Z, but then also if you make a stride, like I can be loving or supportive, like I'm not going to berate you. Like that person has to be mentally calm and sound in communicating, but it's very hard because most of the time there's passionate love, there's history, there's oh so much gosh. relationship Yes, there. and it's like personal. And so it's like, it's a long road for your head to your heart. You know what I mean? Like it's so personal. And listen, I think that the, the part of us that's functioning when we're scared that someone that we love is really harming themselves is not our wisdom. It's our fear, right? And so- I don't know. That's what it ends up looking like. I mean, when we're just trying to negotiate and manipulate people and the most with love, it's just, it doesn't work is the problem. And I think what I've found, I get really sick, you know, like I end up getting really physically, emotionally, spiritually sick when I'm trying to control other people. Yeah. That was something that I learned about a year ago that I cannot control my family. I cannot control people I love. I I have to let them do them. And of course, I think I could give everyone I know a guidebook for how they could be successful and be their best self, but that's not my job. And like, who are we to say? Like, are we God? Yeah. Because that's a dope podcast. But like, like, who am I to say that? Like, I just think of my own path. It's like, it all happened exactly as it needed to, to make me helpful to other people. Like you're right. And that's a great call out is literally like, how do I know what is truly best for someone else? I don't. And, you know, I think I learned the lesson that I cannot control the lives of others, 
But I think today, just now, you just made me learn two moments ago that sometimes I don't know what is best for the life of someone else. You know, I don't think, I don't think we ever do. I think we think we do. And I think the other thing is like, okay, here's like, so remember in the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how there's no evidence-based for eating disorders, how one thing doesn't work for anybody. Uh, in treatment. Just in eating disorders, actually. In eating disorders, there's actually no one thing that beyond a shadow of a doubt works for every single person. Isn't that crazy? When you say works, you mean heals? In the, in the healing process. In the healing process, there's not one thing that works for everybody, right? We know that. Want to know that there actually is one thing that works. There's actually one thing across the board that we know for absolute certainty works, and it's called self-determination. And it means that when the person who is healing decides that they are going to do the thing and they own it, that's when it works. Isn't that bonkers? So here we go. So like just when you're about to tell somebody what to do, which uh, by the way, I mean, I do this so imperfectly, you know, cobbler's children wears no shoes, but like, it's a good note. It's so true. I mean, you could drag someone to therapy and sit them down, but if they don't want to talk and they don't want to listen, you know, I think I hear that all the time with people who go to eating disorder treatment against their will and they don't really care and they're spitting out the, you know, it's like the person has to want. And I think that's great. Molly, this was such a dope conversation. Best time ever. You're awesome. I want I think the word that describes you is rad. I think you're rad. Take it. Thank you. I like <laughs> sassy too, but like rad is better. So thank you. But cup. like sassy in a good way. You oh, know? I take it as a complete compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like, I'm not sweet. And I'm like, well, I no. could go sat like a sass, a sass master. Not but like you're not sassy to others, but I think your approach, I love it. Thank you. I love you. This is such a great time. Such a fun mm. time. And you're such a little boss. I love it. Can't wait to <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.